30 years ago today, my eldest son was born. So that's why it's a particular joy for me to be dedicating little baby Jack to them, as the very first thing to say. We've continued our reading in Colossians. Um, Colossians is a, a short letter by the Apostle Paul written whilst he was in prison under Roman guard. And he's writing to a church that have been infiltrated with a whole load of, you may have picked up some of the buzzwords that, that Paul was using, who were bringing in a whole new load of regulations and rules for the Christian community to obey, uh, from which Christ has already set these people free. And so that's why he's writing. But we've dived in, we're about halfway through the, the, the short letter now, coming to the end of chapter 2. But it's part of a, a progression of an argument that is important for us to see. And what God wants for Jack is right here too. I don't know if you noticed it. Maybe if you have got Bibles to hand, keep them open on chapter 2, please. Because what God wants for Jack is contained right here in these words. God, our maker and redeemer, wants Jack to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. The only reason that a human being exists, if God exists, is to follow him, to know him in saving grace and love. As it says in verse 6, to live in him, to be rooted in him, to be built up in him with thanksgiving. It's an amazingly positive thing, isn't it? To be rooted in something. So the question is, what are you currently rooted in right now? What is the thing that you are being built up in, in your life? Is it good? Does it give you life? Does it enable you to flourish? Think about the word living in Christ. This word carries uh, many ideas, but among them are being occupied with. What occupies you? What takes most of your time, your energy, your effort, your thinking capacity? What are you occupied with? This is an ancient Hebrew idea of ordering your life around one central concern. And this is what, as, as parents of Jack, you will have to do. That's the parental responsibility. Ordering a child's life around one concern primarily. So that everything else is orbiting around that one concern. And that one concern is relationship and knowledge of the one true living God. That's it. Everything else is secondary to those things. So teaching him to order his life around that one primary, one central concern. That's the responsibility of parenting and the responsibility of the church as family. To teach and show Jack how to make his life about the one who gave him his life. There are two options that Jack can choose. I'm going to be referring to Jack all the way through this, so you might as well get used to it. Jack can either live his life through the ego drama of his own desires, or he can choose to live his life according to the theodrama, which is God's design and purpose for him. That's what the Christian life is. An organised life under the reign, the rule, the loving mercy of God. The theodrama, God's story, and our place in that story. But not his ego drama, his will to power, his strength, his might, whatever it might be, needs to come under the radical love of God. And this is what being a Christian is, of course. 
This is the most fundamental thing that we can say about any human life. And often we are so forgetful that we need to be reminded of this, don't we? Often our fires grow dim. The thing that we're living for, what are you living for? Do you even know? And even if you do know, sometimes those fires can grow dim, can't they? The fire, if it's even possible, can grow cold. We fade because we are forgetful creatures. And I think we can be all of these things primarily because we don't really believe that God is for us. We don't often understand the radical nature of grace. The only reason I can stand here today as a minister of the gospel and of this church is because of the radical nature of God's transforming grace. Nothing to do with me. It's all to do with him. What he has said. What he has done. How he has been faithful. The songs that we've been singing already. How God's faithfulness towards me has been unfailing from day one until now. And so Paul is reminding us of these fundamentals. We receive Christ. That's the one necessary thing. And later on in chapter 3, Paul will say that Christ is our life. What a claim. Ever heard that about any other figure in history? Christ is your life. Muhammad is your life. It's never been said. And even if it was said, it would never be believed. But Christ is our life because he is the image of the invisible God. The one who made everything and by whom all things that we see and experience exist. The one who gave us our life. He is our life. And then we walk in him, we are living in him. This is about the ordering of that life, around the ethical principles of a God who has made a universe that is moral. We don't live in a random universe, as Richard Dawkins likes to claim, a universe of blind, pitiless indifference, but a universe that has been made by a holy God with moral order. And so God builds us up according to his own life. And the reason why we need to hear these words from scripture is because we hear competing voices. What are the voices that are competing for your attention right now? What are the desires that you know, that you know are destructive in your life? What are those desires? Those patterns of behaviour, those dysfunctions in relationship, the distortions, the will to power, coercion over others. What are they? Those things that we need to be rescued from. So we hear competing voices. It's impossible to avoid them, of course. Christian does is interpret these voices through the word of Christ. That's why Paul will say in chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell. In other words, the word of Christ wants to dwell. It's waiting to dwell in you as God lived in Christ. And so in Paul's day, verses 8 and 9 are about these false teachers and their 
ridiculous rules and regulations. And we can easily miss the freedom offered by Christ by these empty and hollow, deceptive philosophies. Which is not a, a simplistic dismissal of philosophy per se, by the way. Philosophy literally means, the word literally means love of wisdom. Any truth seeker will seek truth no matter what. Anybody on the quest for wisdom and the love of wisdom will pursue truth down to the very end. So <coughs> philosophy is fine, but when it gets distorted into, as it says, man-made traditions, then we can have a problem. So we want to love wisdom, and Jesus is wisdom personified. He is the wisdom of God. So he defines all of these things. He shapes these things. And so understanding these patterns of thought, say for example, philosophical ideas from two centuries ago literally are shaping our world today. It's amazing how these things can rumble down the centuries. And things mentioned 200, 300 years ago are suddenly mainstream and popular ideas. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm sure you will all have various ideas about this, that, or the other. But I'd like to test some folk wisdom to see if it's true. Um, actually, Joe, can I invite you just to stand here for me? Just very, very quickly, I promise you. I promise you. Okay, I'm going to ask you if something is true. And no other comment, just is what I'm about to say true? And you'll say yes or no to, to these lovely people here, right? Ready? All right. The, Mark Twain, by the way, is, is, a, is a wonderful writer, and I've got his, his, the first of three massive volumes of his autobiography that he didn't allow to be released until 100 years after his death. How amazing is that? Anyway, amazing writer, great insights. He said this, is this true or not? Eat a frog first thing in the morning, and nothing worse will happen to you for the rest of the day. Is that generally true? Yeah. Yeah, right, yeah, it's true. That's decent that's wisdom, right? Now let's see how clever you are. Have you ever applied this wisdom, Joe? No. Uh, come on, sit down. <laughs> so, generally true wisdom, eat a frog and nothing worse could happen to you for the rest of the day. But we don't do that, do we? No. Try it. Anyone who does try it, let me know. I'd love to see how that goes for you. <laughs> but sometimes, cultural things happen that distort love of wisdom and the truth of God. And we can see what this looks like in our day. Almost everything that passes for what we now call woke culture in our day is a hollow and deceptive philosophy. It has its roots that go back at least 150 years with gender confusion, with pride ideology and cancel culture. Not to mention that you will have heard of this, by the way. A culture that is quite prepared to have a bank cancel an account of an English clergyman because he had differing views. To a bank? This is ideology running rampant that is now bearing fruit in our world after several multiple decades of a philosophy coming down the line towards us. But it's the biblical revelation of God in Christ that trains us to identify these distortions and dysfunctions. The false teachers that Paul is writing against here hated the physical world with a passion. They denied that Jesus had come in the flesh. But verse 9 tells us that in Christ, 
the whole fullness of deity. That is to say, the whole of God was in Christ bodily. God has not got a problem with the flesh, with our bodies, with our physical, material reality. He made us. He made us from the dust. He made Jack from the dust. Theologically speaking, not biologically speaking, no letters please. God, our creator, lives in those who believe in him. And even if you don't believe in him yet, you are made in the image of God. You've already been called forth into existence for this time to bear witness in your life that there is a truth, there is a way, and there is a life, and his name is Jesus Christ. Therefore, if it is of ultimate concern that our entire worldview is ordered, verse 6, according to Christ. For unless we are a gospelized people, unless we know the truth of things, the deep truth of things, unless we know those things, the world will inform and transform us into its mould. And as Bob has already prayed, that mould is not a healthy mould. It's not good. What's going on? It's not good. This is what happens when a culture rejects God, ultimately. We live with the consequences and entailments of our desires that have been distorted through sin and rebellion and power. That's why Frank Sinatra was so wrong when he sang I Did It My Way. Catchy tune, ideologically utterly bankrupt, utterly bankrupt. So it is the gospel in the world that brings Christ to bear on it. This is the gospel that Jack has been dedicated into today that we are all witnesses of, praise God. And our danger as Christians, especially those brought up in the church, is very subtle. I'm now going to quote a 20th century philosopher, one of the good guys, Martin Heidegger, who said that familiarity creates the illusion of understanding. Have you been going to church all your life? So what? Familiarity creates the illusion of understanding. The question is, do you really understand what's going on? Do you see? And when there's an illusion, hollow and deceptive philosophy come flooding in. Now the reason why I'm speaking like this on the occasion of Jack's um, dedication to Almighty God is partly found in the answer. When Janet mentioned the future, he burst into tears, didn't he? Do you remember? <laughs> but it's because his heart is the ground for this cosmic battle. Because the gospel's not neutral. Jack's heart is not neutral in the same way that your heart is not neutral. None of us are neutral towards these things. There is a cosmic battle raging. That's why I like what, um, have you heard of Yoko Ono, the, the wife of John Lennon? Little tiny lady she was, or is, I think she's still alive. She said, I have a universe of ideas running around my head at a thousand miles an hour. We matter, and we matter to God. And our hearts are the battleground for this cosmic battle. And the cosmic battle is seen most profoundly in the cross of Christ, who defeated the cosmic powers that raged against him. Otherwise, why would, as it says in verse 14, why would God have forgiven our sins? Why would he have cancelled the law that condemns us? 
That's what God has done in Jesus Christ. That's why God is for us. He has taken it away, remember? He was in Christ. The fullness of deity dwells bodily, even on a cross of crucifixion. And he's taken away all of the stuff that hindered our relationship with him. That sounds pretty cosmic to me, doesn't it? And once these powers and authorities had been captured, Scripture tells us that it was that they, these powers were disarmed. This is a very interesting idea. Disarmed. And God made a public spectacle of them in the cross. Now the cross was designed to be a public spectacle. Jesus was humiliated publicly by this. But in the cross, he disarmed the powers that raged against him, the physical ones and the spiritual ones, of course. He was the one that was publicly humiliated. The idea of being disarmed is to be, guess what? Stripped completely naked. Shamed. Jesus was completely naked on the cross. Shamed before the world. Executed by the Roman Empire. But whilst being shamed, he was doing the shaming. It was he who disarmed the powers and the principalities. That's why the church declares over 2,000 years, Jesus Christ is Lord. What is the Lord in your life? Nothing else is comparable to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So this portion of Colossians is simply saying that if Christ's cross is the one true thing, if it contains the wisdom of God and the fullness of God for our living, for our being rooted in him, for our being built up in him, if this is true, and you can test this any way you like, then why was there such a bother around new moons and food festivals and Sabbaths? Why were these new regulations being added to? When Jesus came to set his people free, he didn't say, I've come to set you free. By the way, here are some new chains. He came to set us free. As it says in Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not conform again to a yoke of slavery. We love, we love to pick up our chains, don't we? So if Christ is true, why does religious rule-keeping still have power? Do not taste. Do not touch. Do not handle. Don't, don't, don't. You know, if you were to take a straw poll and ask people in the street what they thought of the church, they would tell you what they think the church is against. How's about we become people who influence our friends, neighbours and family so as to let them know what we're for. And that is, God was in Christ reconciling your sins so that you could have a relationship with him. It's pretty powerful stuff. Because some people live their lives thinking this is what God wants, a killjoy. Just be a good little boy or girl and everything will go well. Just obey the rules, just be nice, just follow along nicely. Or to make it in religion, 
display enough of the externals to give the appearance of righteousness rather than the inner transformation that comes by actual encounter with the living God. That's where the transformation is found. In the end, what God is truly looking for is heart transformation, the change that Janet was talking about earlier. I didn't know she was going to mention change at the start of this service. I wasn't even sure if the sermon was going to go there. That's why I didn't really answer you, but it is all about that. It's about encountering the living God in Jesus Christ. Living in him, rooted in him, built up in him. These are really good things, are they not, church? The whole of our life is about our union with the Son of God. And the best thing that we can ever do for our children is this. Show them the Father's heart, and Jack will be his. Show them Christ's cross. Jack can't save himself, and he'll be God's. Show them hollow and deceptive philosophies, and they will see the truth of the gospel. <clears throat> Show them how to walk in Christ, how to be rooted in Christ, how to be built up in Christ. Jack will be his. I don't know about you, but I found parenting really easy. Amen? It's hard, isn't it? You've already talked about your loss of social life and the difficulty around getting some of that back and the organisational things you have to do. Blah, blah, blah. My heart bleeds. But, we've got to be real with all of this stuff, right? We've just got to be real with it. God has got to capture your heart. This is not so much about the dedication of your son, but it's also about the dedication of your heart towards God as well, in order to live that out. You've got to truly know the power of the cross for yourself. In one short letter at the end of the New Testament in Jude verse 23, we've got to hate even the clothing stained by sin. So may Jack grow into the man of God he's called to be. Dedicate this sermon to him, as all of us dedicate Jack and ourselves, hopefully, to our Father God. And may we all be rooted and built up in Jesus Christ. God bless you.